Hi everyone, how are you doing? I hope you are in good health. Thank you so much for being so loyal to Fine Policy Talks. And this is the 21st episode. We are going to talk more on the impacts of COVID-19 pandemic on the world's environmental agenda. We all know that COVID-19 is making it painfully clear just how interconnected our social, economic, and political challenges are. We also know that the spread of the coronavirus disease has changed and affected everything, including our environment. What is exactly the impacts of COVID-19 on the international environmental agenda? And does the people's fear on coronavirus as serious as climate change can be a contributing factor for our world leaders to make today as a momentum to drive more actions in saving our environment? And what has COVID-19 pandemic told us about the importance of the community-based actions on contributions, especially in the global efforts to tackle the climate change? I explore those questions with Dayunirma Amurwanti, the Program Advisor on Climate and Forest at the Royal Norwegian Embassy in Jakarta. She is also the former Climate Finance Advisor at the Partnership for Governance Reform in Indonesia. Without further ado, let's talk to her. Hi, Dayu. How are you doing? Good. How are you? Staying at home, of course. <laughs> uh, I'm fine. I'm fine. Thank you so much for accepting uh, the request of Foreign Policy Talks. Uh, we're going to talk about a very important issue, which is the uh, environmental impact uh, of COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure you are the right person to, to answer some of questions that I have on my mind. So again, uh, thank you uh, for accepting the request. Thank you for inviting. I'll try my best to answer your question. <laughs> Great. So I'd like to start by asking you, um, you know, right, the COVID-19 is making it painfully clear just how interconnected our social, economic, and political challenges are. Uh, we also know that the spread of the coronavirus disease has changed and affected everything, right? Um, I'd like to start uh, by asking this. Uh, what are the impacts of COVID-19 on the environmental agenda, the global environmental agenda. Uh, we all know that all governments and leaders uh, seems are focusing on, on saving people's life uh, from coronavirus at this time. So have the global environmental agenda forgotten? Well, let me first uh, begin by saying that, of course, COVID-19 has affected all of us um, globally. Um, more than 21 people are affected uh, now. Uh, Confirmed cases, I mean, like more than half a million, 700,000 already died from COVID-19. And this has taken a toll not only on government's focus, community focus, but also resources. Um, So yes, in the sense that government's focus is on public health, making sure that people are not... um, do not get infected or people survive if they do get infected. Public health is certainly a concern. Second, in terms of resources, yes, resources, you can say that some of the resources are are taken away from environmental sector to um, public health, to recovering the economy. And in that sense, there is a lot of pressure on the environmental agenda. 
um, global uh, restriction on travel and movement of persons also have um, caused a cancellation of, of, of some of the um, negotiation events, climate change negotiation events, global events. And in, in that sense, yes, it, it may seem that environment is put on hold for a while, but other people are saying that because we see there is a link between air quality and morbidity, meaning that people who live in countries and areas with, with poor air quality tend to suffer more from COVID-19, there is now an awareness um, to improve environment, to improve air quality through various means. So uh, in that sense, uh, a lot of global leaders say that it presents new opportunities. If we want to recover the economy, we cannot have business as usual. The past is the past and we need to have a cleaner way of doing things, getting rid or reducing the use of fossil fuels, for example, improving air quality. We see um, the awareness on plastics and waste. We need to do something about that. But most importantly is the agenda on jobs. When you say that it has affected all of us, um, people are now thinking that perhaps growth, growth, growth is, is not the narrative anymore. We need to have something more inclusive. We need to have something more sustainable. And this is why my answer is yes and no. Yes, in the sense that there is increasing pressure on public health on economic recovery, but no, uh, in the sense that this presents a new opportunity and, and everyone that is concerned on um, pushing the environmental agenda must use this momentum very wisely. Yep. Uh, I, I'd like to ask, in terms of the global environmental agenda, we all know that this year sh there should be a meeting in, uh, in UK and Italy mm -hmm. talking about the climate change, right? But it's all postponed. It's different mm -hmm. to the impact of COVID-19 on democracy where, you know, people's, uh, sorry, government still think that the democracy is still, can, can still be running because the election can still be convened uh, in many countries. But how about this meeting? You know, these meetings are very important. Usually we do it every year, but this year is postponed. So do you think it's, it's, it affects the, the world's, uh, you know, seriousness in, uh, in tackling climate change? Um, in, in one sense, yes, uh, some critical negotiations need to take in place and they are not taking place because of the travel restrictions. Um, because these conferences, these events, this negotiation tend to gather hundreds and, and even at some point, perhaps thousands of people. And, and sometimes it's not, it's not possible to physically distance and the meeting goes like long hours. There was a meeting that uh, I participated in and it ended at two in the morning and by eight, everyone is already up um, um, resuming the negotiation. So that, that part is put on hold. But on the other hand, I think um, all government um, and environmental and non-government organizations, um, the media are all um, advocating for, like I said, more sustainable trajectory. Even with COVID-19, you see news about um, the alarming threats of um, deforestation. You see news about um, alarming increasing numbers of medical waste other than um, domestic waste. So yes, some critical negotiations are put on hold, but the actual concrete advocacy um, and also pushing for policy changes, day-to-day -day practices are, are still ongoing. So 
I guess yes and no. <laughs> okay. Um, I'd like to continue. You know that people know how much the pandemic affected the global economy and uh, by the lockdown policies and travel restriction, we can see also that the economies of many countries are now in danger mm. of economic recession. But I'm sure also that many people don't know uh, the COVID-19 crisis has given some environmental impacts, critical environmental impacts uh, to our environment. Can you share it to the listeners uh, who, are, who might not following this? Uh, what are the most mm. significant environmental causes and environmental impacts of COVID-19 pandemic? There are, of course, immediate and long-term impacts. The most immediate is, I'm sure you see it in the news as well, and you can probably personally experience the decline um, of, of travel, you know, uh, people using transportation has caused global decrease of greenhouse gases. Um, a research says that globally there is like 17% of decrease in carbon dioxide emission. Um, in Spain, for example, in Barcelona, a single city recorded 50% less emission reduction because people are not simply going out using their cars and what have you. Um, in Indonesia, um, in Jakarta for, uh, specifically, you see for the first time, if you're following the air quality index, we have trees. It's suddenly green. Suddenly the air is breathable. So, uh, of course, because there is less use of uh, fossil fuel, carbon dioxide, greenhouse gas emission is declining. Noise level is declining. And that, that actually is very important for wildlife, you know, other than humans. We experience that every morning. Suddenly we hear birds chirping. Yeah. I, you know, for the first time in my life, um, you know, living in Jakarta, I, I, I heard birds chirping and it's, mm -hmm. it's amazing the things that we take, we have taken for granted. And um, in national parks, when they have like hidden camera, you see wildlife now going out, showing themselves, frolicking in the wild. In the past, they were so afraid that, you know, they may, encounter, they may encounter humans. You see rhinos, sightings, you see sightings of tigers, elephants. So it, you know, it, it triggers us to think perhaps humans are not, are not the best protectors of the planet because these other animals obviously used to feel threatened by us and they're not even showing themselves in, um, uh, in nature. Waste, um, there's a negative effect also. Waste is increasing. You know, we buy things online. You see the bubble wraps, you see plastic, cardboards, bubble wraps. And medical waste is also a concern. You see footage of, of um, people in the sea or in the river or in a uh, garbage dump collecting masks because people are not disposing them properly. So this is also an immediate effect. What we don't really um, see in the news is the impact on indigenous communities. You know, with, with no COVID-19, their lives are in danger because we have continuously push them, um, you know, uh, because we're encroaching the forest. They, they live um, in the forest. With COVID-19, not only that we endanger um, their, their, um, their place of living, but we infect them with COVID-19. And the fact is they don't have adequate health and sanitation facilities. So you see um, some tribes in, in native tribes in the U.S., some native 
tribes in Brazil. They say that even 38 uh, indigenous communities are, are, are badly affected. Back home in Indonesia, people in Papua got infected because of the migrants either going back or coming in um, to the villages and infect them with COVID-19. And the government is not prepared. So they say that this might wipe out um, some of the indigenous communities. In the long run, as I mentioned earlier, resources are taken away from the government. We see that there is less law enforcement in national parks and forests and rivers, what have you, that, that may trigger uh, people to either encroach the forest, um, cut timber illegally. Now they say in Indonesia is the forest fire season. People may uh, site fire just to convert forest into agricultural land. There's also a danger of um, people forgetting that we uh, are supposed to go towards more renewable energy path um, use and mix. But now fossil fuel is so cheap, the prices of coal and oil are falling. What are the incentives for the government to convert from oil and coal to, although the sun is freely available, <laughs> the, uh, the wind is freely available, but currently there's just no incentive or there's less incentive for the governments to convert. In terms of economic recovery, the issue also is People are now looking for um, excuses, avenues to um, convert peat or dry peatland, to convert forests. And because governments are trying to attract investments, and you, you see this in a number of countries, um, Brazil and Indonesia um, particularly, that some of the environmental standards are being watered down. So you see in the past that governments are... are are very strong in enforcing environmental and social safeguards or standards. Now, we may see that the tendency, this is going less and less because of the pressure for economic recovery. And um, the, the danger to environmental impact, of course, is, is, the, is the narrative. We are afraid that, that the narrative that climate shifting in the next 10 years we may destroy the planet. That narrative um, should not be gone. And, and we thought one of the most um, worrisome impact is that because of COVID-19, that, that agenda is somehow pushed um, in the background. So those are the short and long-term impacts. Mm. I'm interested to follow up your short-term impacts. Um, can, mm. the just, can the government justify that? Because this is the time of crisis, so you know, it's it's normal to waste some medical you know the the medical waste and then and then also the the less law enforcement so can you justify just can the government justify that uh, you know it's at the time of the crisis we should focus on mm. you know saving people's life first and then we we can take care of this environmental causes or the impacts of COVID nineteen that um, you can't say that the government is 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 trying to justify it's just like all governments um that are affected by COVID 19 crisis are facing liquidity issues so in in one sense they may not have the choice anyway because um law enforcers are not supposed to go out without proper protective equipment right and yeah. sometimes we just have no uh, capacity in providing that to them or no resources in ensuring that they have adequate 
protective uh, equipment. And in that sense, because of their uh, resources constraint, um, whether they like it or not, uh, law enforcement um, budget has to come down. Um, second, um, yeah, uh, there are some governments who are trying to trying to shift the focus away. So, in 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 one sense, um, economic recovery. I would say public health. I think it's acceptable to all, but but in the pretext of economic recovery, that's that's that is what is worrying, right? Mm -hmm. um, you see less, not just not just the actual enforcement um, that is slackening, but you see that in terms of policy, it's being watered down. It's becoming more lenient. That's that's when we need to uh, worry about, it. and I don't think the government can justify that. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Uh, I found an interesting poll uh, released by the World Economic Forum, the Global Risk Report, mm -hmm. twenty twenty. Um, they found that people have seen five environmental related issues as the global top five risks in terms of likelihood mm -hmm. over the next 10 years. That they are extreme weather, climate action failure, natural disaster, biodiversity loss, human-made environmental disasters. Do you think that this can be a contributing factor for our world leaders to make today as a momentum uh, to drive more actions in saving our environment? Or today is the right time or not, you know? Um, what has been actually missing in our efforts today? I mean, people, by, by this poll, you know, people think that this is very important, but I think, I don't know, but I not, I'm not seeing this from our governments or many governments in this world. Well, if you know Greta Thunberg, um, the Swedish activist, environmental activist, she, she would say that, you know, even if you start now, we're way too late. Mm -hmm. um, so, yes. Uh, they should have started yesterday they should have started 10 years ago um, they need to use this momentum yes uh, we we have seen that um, last year the US and Australia um, suffered greatly from the bushfire for example that should have been a wake-up call that look the world the planet's getting hotter and as an effect to that it would be easier for forests and bushes to catch fire. And that has a tremendous impact. If you are living in South Pacific um, Island countries like Fiji, you see it right in front of your eyes that the island is sinking. One day, the, the country, the island that you live in will be swiped out of the map. You're no longer in the map. And that's because of the rising um, seawater uh, level. So uh, even with this uh, very evident um, causes, um, or should I, I should say effects of climate change, the government should have acted and reacted um, very strongly with strong policies, strong programs and resource allocations. But this is uh, answering your second question. Uh, they have not done so. So in the sense we have not done enough the government has not done enough and we as community as global citizens have not done enough and and, and governments in the way that they change their policies in terms of energy conversion in, in in indonesia for example we know that if we do not change our energy mix um within 10 15 years the use of energy is going to be the number one sources of pollution um, or greenhouse gas emission. So we need to change. 
we have seen how China is suffering because of air quality, and that's is because of the use of coal in, in their energy mix. We know that this is what has happened elsewhere, but we have not learned from that. Um, in terms of um, protecting and safeguarding the forest, you see Brazil, for example, with the change of regime, now they're opening opening up the forest, not only for small-scale agriculture or small-scale farming, but also for commercial practices. And the Amazon forest is one of the most um, valuable forests. They're the lungs of the earth. They're the number one largest tropical forest in the world. And, and for the sake of growth, 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 um, that is now open to conversion. So we have not done enough. What do we need to do? What do the world need to do is, of course, one, change drastically in the way we live, in the way we use our energy, in the way we produce our food. Um, we need to think about how to produce food more sustainably. There have been a number of researches um, that is going or advocating towards that direction, but we have not followed the recommendations of those research. We have to, um, we have to change the way uh, public transport or commercial and personal transportation um, is. Um, there needs to be incentive for electric cars. Indonesia is shifting towards that way, but not enough uh, because it's still not affordable, for example. Public transport need to also move into that direction. So um, you have energy conversion, you have land use, you have waste also, how uh, minima minimizing waste should be the norm um, rather than um, being an outlier now. It has to be in the norm. And if you want, the waste can be converted to energy. So there is a, there's a circular economy that is being promoted. So those are the steps that we need to push forward to. Awesome. Uh Next, I'd like to, you know, um, raise a poll by a global market research company that found that 71% of the world population thinks climate change is as serious as coronavirus. Um, the highest number of disagreements, uh, however, is in the U.S., whereby almost 40% uh, of them think that uh, COVID-19 is not as serious as climate change. Uh, what do you think of this result? And uh, in your view, has COVID-19 changed the people's perspective on future global risks? Um, okay, so the U.S. <laughs> well, uh, let me begin with uh, risk perception, right? Yeah. Uh, your perception of risk is defined by many things. It defines by your personal experience also. It's defined by your culture, religious values, uh, the society around you, the opinion polls for example the public opinion oh, that's why it, they're it by religious friends maybe <laughs> okay. okay the role of the media is also important your sense of familiarity and that is why a plane crash when we're talking about risk perception a plane crash mm -hmm. is more terrifying than a car accident while in fact car accidents kill more people than plane accidents Mm -hmm. That's because you're not familiar. That's because the media always um, blows that out, this out of proportion because you feel uncertain by the uh, possibility of a plane crash. You're more terrified by it. But actually, uh, flying by plane is, is one of the safest ways to travel, for example. So in terms of the U.S., the fact that 
the fact that they do not immediately see the impact of climate change may be the factor. I mean, we in Indonesia, we have forest fire, we have floods, mm -hmm. and this natural disasters are becoming more and more frequent and we wonder why, and one of the immediate answer is climate change. And that is why perhaps in this part of the world, we feel that we need to address climate change um, immediately. But not so much in the US. I mean, yeah, there's more tropical um, storms, but only some parts of the country feel it. Um, awareness is not there because the media also do not think um, that this is an issue, for example. Um, in Indonesia, the use of social media is, is important. Um, um, the young are subscribing to social media and that's why uh, groups and activists and even the government have been using social media to raise awareness that this is important. In, in European countries, the government makes this as a political agenda. So it is within their platform. That is why the people are aware of this. And this is not what you see in the US. I mean, Trump is obviously a denial, um, is denying that climate change is there. The US, the government is pulling out of uh, Paris Agreement and climate change negotiations. So if your leadership thinks that climate change is not there, then you as a citizen will probably look up to your leaders and, huh, it's not there. I don't see it. My city is not inundated. It's not on fire and so on. So it's not immediately affecting you. Your leaders are not saying the right things. The media is not, is not saying the right things. And that is why perhaps we need to change the narrative um, either by I wouldn't say change the leadership that's up to the U.S. citizens, but at least in the media, you know, we need to advocate this awareness and we need to, if the government is not, is not changing, then other parts of the community, the other parts of the society needs to make that change. Mm -hmm. So are you saying, I, I like to ask your opinion. So after seeing this poll, do you see that the climate change agenda get, is getting advantaged by the coronavirus or because of the coronavirus, you know, it's just too dangerous for some people, you know, because this, this poll saying that 71% say that climate change is as much as serious as coronavirus. So is this giving advantage to the climate change agenda? It, it should because, uh, because then it kills you, right? It has, uh, it has a potential to kill you, to risk, uh, to to risk lives. Uh, it may cost human lives. So in that sense, it's it's good that people are now aware that it's deadly. Climate change is deadly, and we're not talking about one or two, but you know, if you're talking about uh, communities living in South Pacific Islands, for example, in small island states. You can wipe out the entire country, and that this is very serious. I think also people are now aware that if you look at the proportion, um, like I said earlier, that people living in areas or cities with poor air quality tend to suffer more the the risk of dying um, or uh, morbidity risk is is higher. So in that sense, then you need to do something about it. Air quality comes from less forest fire in, in the case of Indonesia. And for globally, it's, it means you need to convert um, your energy mix from fossil fuel to something cleaner. So it's, it's good that you know, people think that this is serious and this is deadly. And we need to use that momentum, obviously. Mm -hmm. 
I'd like to move forward from the people's perceptions into uh, people's action. Uh, we can mm -hmm. see that the, by this pandemic, you know, uh, it has demonstrated the fact that people and their individual and community actions matter. Uh, in many countries, uh, we can see a pattern that which we cannot just living mitigation and uh, containment responses to the government. Mm -hmm. uh, it needs public support, and I can see uh, personally that people are more active in supporting government uh, in containing the pandemic. Uh, what has COVID-19 pandemic told us about the importance of community-based action and contributions? Um, how to build the same spirit to global efforts in tackling climate change in this case? The spirit of community-based actions. Yeah. Mm. So I think what we learned from COVID-19 is, um, yeah, the state alone cannot address all issues, right? Um, the state is is busy. The state has multiple uh, immediate concerns at their hands. The state is confused sometimes. Um, is this real? Is this not? And um, sometimes the states do not agree. Um, like uh, different factions uh, in the U.S., for example, cannot agree on the kind of federal support that they can give uh, to the community. But in the absence of the state, the community step up. So that is is um, the most important lesson that we learn from COVID nineteen. And what we mean by community is is not just community as in citizens and civil society organizations and media per se, but also. Uh, commercial enterprises we see that in the um, in covid-19 uh, pharmaceutical companies state owned or privately owned um, multinationals they're in the race to find um, either vaccines or um, drugs that can cure covid-19 so if the commercial enterprises are just as motiva motivated to, to find uh, nature-based solutions that can address climate change. Maybe uh, we can also address um, those issues. For example, we need to incentivize them. If they're using cleaner energy or the most efficient energy uh, possible, we need to incentivize them if they find solutions to intensify production of food in a more sustainable manner without further converting uh, forests or peatlands, for example. We need to incentivize them to come up with technologies um, either to help people, like you say, mitigate uh, climate change, but also coping with effects of climate change. Already, we're all, uh, Indonesia is feeling the impacts. If um, you're familiar with um, an area called Pekalongan, there are more than 1,500 households that have to change their livelihoods entirely because they used to be, uh, they used to be um, living on agricultural land um, until the 1960s and uh, sea water is starting to come in. Then they change into a fisherman community and now there's no way that you live in that community anymore. So they have to be re relocated. So adapting to climate change also needs solutions and we need to incentivize the private sector because the government can't do it alone. And then in terms of communities, we learned from COVID-19 that when government support is, is either um, lacking or is not sufficient, you see food banks, you see donations and and you see that um, 
in the US, you see that in European countries, you see it back home in Indonesia, you see, uh, for example, at some point, um, Gojek or um, Gojek drivers queue up because people are, are distributing food donations. We see in hospitals, they receive donations of PPE from a community. So community can be, when they are motivated in the right way for a common problem, we are able to mobilize resources. So in terms of climate change, we need to, we need to see climate changes as a co common problem and use the risk that is just as deadly as coronavirus. Now, one, it's a common problem, and two, that poses immediate risk to our health and perhaps to our lives. And to start looking at what are the immediate resources that, that we can mobilize together. We're thinking about expertise, for example, from the academia or researchers. We think about private sector. They have, they have the capital, they have the technology, they have access to distribution and logistics and what have you. You have the civil society organizations already providing help, for example, in the absence of law enforcement. Together with the community, they have a community patrolling the forest. They have also provided help for the indigenous uh, communities living in the forest or they are, that are dependent on the forest. They actually have licenses for the government so that private sector can, cannot just come in and have logging concessions, for example. So we are already stepping in um, or stepping up, I should say, and, and we need to have more of that. Uh, it's, it's not yet as, as pressing as COVID-19, but as you rightly put or said, um, there is a lot of lessons that we can draw from that. Mm -hmm. uh, my last question, um, mm -hmm. which is, um, are you worried um, that you know after this private sector you say you're saying that the whole of private sector is very important in this case but are you worried that private sector and also government is prioritizing national economic sorry economic recovery uh, strategies first instead of other things you know uh, maybe they can open more factories without you know without considering the impact of uh, the impact on environments uh, what do you think? Are you worried about this? Because, you know, the concerns is not we need to recover, we need to revive our economy first. I think, um, you know, providing jobs to people, providing uh, enough income for people to be able to feed their family and to have a roof on their head is an immediate concern. And, and of course, uh, it is acceptable. So we need to agree on that first. Yes, governments, we all need to provide income to the poorest households, make sure that they survive through the pandemic, and we have to make sure that the economy recovers. So the economy needs to recover. But what's, what path or what trajectory is the economy uh, going to recover? If, if there are nothing else that we can learn from COVID-19, we need to also look at that the current economic model, the economic growth model, does not work. Relying on massive consumption, mm -hmm. large-scale production is not one inclusive and too sustainable. So we need to think about how, for example, we rely, we rely on locally sourced produce, working with the local communities, um, 
and making sure that um, it's also consumed locally, for example. So in the sense that if, and touch wood, if there is another crisis happening, I think that community will be able to sustain themselves. So one inclusive um, job generation is critical and is important. And two, in terms of food security, for example, if you want to recover and um, you need to provide food, um, there is no way that you can have massive scale uh, agricultural production um, quickly. So you need to in, uh, intensify your production. Now, more than ever, you need to come up with technology to make sure that you can make use of the, the, the land that you have, the resources that you have, the manpower that you have, and just double up productivity, double up yield. That is happening in Indonesia. Suddenly, uh, suddenly the president, for example, is, is summoning um, all the uh, food-based uh, uh, private sector and asking them for solutions. And this may not be immediately visible, but you see that state-owned enterprises, um, commercial enterprises in Indonesia, they have many little projects. If you see the offices, and this is true, I mean, we, we can't go and visit the, the offices because of, because of the uh, restriction in Jakarta, but they have experiments. They have paddies grown in offices. You know, it, it may be possible that we are replicating Japan I mean, Japan cannot expand their land. That's the only land that they have. But they intensify production by using buildings as, as um, one of the factors of production in agriculture. That, that can be a solution for Indonesia. So, yes, economic recovery should be the priority, is a priority. But if we do not want to fall into similar crisis, we need to think about inclusiveness. So jobs need to be inclusive. And we need to also think about the more environmentally sustainable way of production. Otherwise, we got double effects, not only of the crisis, but also um, the environment. It's not going to be funny if we have the crisis and we have the forest fire, for example. The money is already taken away from the um, disaster management agency and law enforcement. We, we can't put off the fire if there is a fire now. So the only way to have that is make sure that if agricultural uh, session or the, the planting uh, season is going to start, we need to do that in, in a more sustainable fashion because we just don't have the resources if, if any of those effects should occur. So I hope that answer is <laughs> not easy, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. It was my last question, and uh, okay. I'm sure that uh, all of our listeners um, have new understanding and knowledge on the impact of COVID-19 pandemic on the world's environmental agenda. And you're talking also the, the debates on which one should be done first, economy, environment, or virus. So thank you so much for addressing those uh, important uh, issues. And then uh, hopefully we can talk more next time. Uh, again, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Goodbye. And stay safe. You too. Bye. Bye.